In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our text is the Gospel reading which you've heard. You may be seated. I can't prove it, but it seems to me that the idea for Christmas in July must have come from the church's calendar. While our Gospel reading doesn't quite launch into the story of Christmas as we've come to know it from Luke chapter 2, which you have to read in the King James or you are the Grinch, it certainly is essential in the context of it. In the verses immediately preceding our text, Mary was visited by Gabriel, who told her that she would be the mother of the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. Mary is the model of faith, answering the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The church calls that day the Annunciation, and that usually falls on March the 25th. Part of the angel's message is that Elizabeth, whom we met in our gospel reading for today, is also expecting a child, and we know him as John the Baptizer, that long-promised forerunner of the Christ. He is the one of whom the prophets speak of in the closing verses of the Old Testament. This prompted Mary then to go and visit her relative Elizabeth, which is recounted then in our gospel reading for today. Since this feast day has fallen on a Sunday this year, let us therefore spend some time marveling at what it means that our Creator has taken on the form of a slave, of one of his poor fallen creatures, the second person of the most holy trinity, the one by whom and through whom all things were made, has become one just like us. So, with the Holy Spirit's guiding, we'll look at three aspects with that in mind. The first is that all children need what Jesus comes to give. Second will be how Jesus' incarnation, how he took on flesh, elevates our humanity to heaven. And third, how God uses the things that this world often considers foolish to demonstrate his greatest power. So first, this text shows that all children need what Jesus has come to give. Back in the old days, when I used to be on Facebook, it's a website you might have heard of, I remember seeing a depiction of Mary and Elizabeth together, both pregnant, you could tell, because it was sort of an icon picture from the early church in that style where you know, they had the, the halos above their heads, but you could also see kind of a window into their wombs. And you can even see the little John leaping in the womb of his mother. The caption for this picture read something like this, the first person to recognize the Christ was a child. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit's inclusion of this detail in our text, the, the baby John leaping in his mother's womb, we might not have a very good example in the scriptures of the faith of children in any of the New Testament writings. You'll recall, though, 
that Jesus mentions it in a few places. He says things like, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But this also means that children need what Jesus has come to give. It is worth noting that Jesus did not enter the world as a fully grown man. Instead, he was conceived in the womb of his mother. As he grew and developed, he felt him, she felt him kick and move and do backflips and all the things that children do in wombs. He had to be nursed, burped, and have his diapers changed. Jesus took on the life of the smallest and most vulnerable to save them because they too needed a savior from sin. It almost always strikes me that during the baptismal rite, which we heard just a few weeks ago and we'll hear again another couple of weeks, one of the prayers speaks of how baptism drowns the sin that the child has inherited from Adam and which he himself has committed since. I always wonder at a baptism, because we don't usually have a lot of guests and not all of them are part of our fellowship, I always wonder what folks from outside of our little church community think about that line. Because many don't believe that children, especially babies, have any sort of sin to speak of. But what does the Bible actually say to us? David says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is not saying here that his mother sinned while he was being conceived, but he is lamenting the fact that his sinfulness began at the moment of his conception. Well, how is that possible? St. Paul shines a light on us in Romans 5 saying, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Everyone who is descended from Adam has inherited the condition of sin. And this is the doctrine that we know as original sin. The sad proof that we can point to that the children need what Jesus needs or comes to give is found in the consequence of that sin. The chief consequence of sin, as we know, is death. Unfortunately, we live in a world where, child, where children die. Even children in the womb are lost to death, as many of you well know. And so as Jesus grew, he invited little children to come to him that he might bless them. He gives them the gift of holy baptism since they are part of the mandate to baptize all nations. St. Peter, who received that mandate, repeats this for us in Acts chapter 2 when he says, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children. All who are far off, all whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The promise of forgiveness, life, and salvation that Jesus holds out, he holds out especially to children. The second thing that we'll consider is how Jesus' incarnation, again, his taking on of human flesh, 
elevates our humanity up to heaven. We see in this text that Mary admits her own humility when she sings in the Magnificat. We'll sing a version of that later on in our service. She says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. That started with Elizabeth's greeting to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We modern Lutherans have tended to be a little bit nervous about saying too many nice things about the mother of our Lord. However, the scriptures here are quite clear. She does have a special role in the story of salvation. She alone was chosen among all women in all creation to be the mother of God. In fact, our Lutheran confessions rightly give her that title, that title, Mother of God. We shouldn't be afraid to say these nice and wonderful things about Mary just because the Roman Catholic Church has gone too far. She is, for us, a beautiful example of humility and faith throughout all of the Gospels. But to the point that we're concerned about, Mary's humility is elevated because she is the mother of Jesus. Likewise, Jesus lifts our humanity up to heaven. One of the most common ways that the New Testament speaks of the baptized is that we are baptized into Christ. St. Paul says that our lives are hidden with Christ in God and that our lowly bodies will be made like his heavenly body at his appearance on the last day. St. John writes in his first epistle, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the 40th day after his resurrection, he ascended as a human being, as a man. And he sits on the throne of heaven as a man. Even though we have fallen into sin, Jesus descends into the depths of our sin in order to lift us out from the fall and to restore us to our rightful place at the right hand of God. The dwelling place of God, the scriptures tell us, is with man. And that will begin again, or that did begin again, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then last... Let's talk about how God uses foolish things in order to display his great power. In the song that Mary sings again called the Magnificat, she sings, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. There is nothing new under the sun. The world has always thought highly of the rich and the powerful and the mighty. So many people think that wealth and prosperity are a sure sign of God's favor. Joel Osteen, that 
great televangelist that you all have heard about and you've seen his books with the million dollar smile. His whole empire is built on that premise that you just have to believe in God enough and he will make you healthy and he will make you wealthy. That's the lie that he is peddling. But here, Mary flips that script on its head. God exalts the humble, she says, and fills the hungry with good things. St. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, who is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself and he took on the form of a slave. He writes to the Galatians that Jesus was born under the law in order to redeem those who are under the law. And how does he do that? Well, he does it by taking on the most shameful and foolish kind of death that man could devise. A death on a Roman cross. The cross is foolishness to the world. Why would God die on a cross? It was a scandal in Jesus' day, and it's still a scandal in ours. But God still exalts what is lowly and continues to use humble means to show his greatest power among us today. How does God bring us to saving faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. How does God give eternal life and make us partakers of his kingdom? Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. How does God nourish and strengthen our faith in the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of his son? Whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. God uses simple, lowly, humble means like word and water and bread and wine to do all of those things. And in so doing, God consigns everything to faith. This means that we cannot be saved by what we do, but we can only be saved by believing in him and in his promise that he puts into the word and in the sacraments. Dear saints, all this that Jesus does flows from his incarnation. When he took on our flesh, he came to rescue us, especially our children, from the throes of sin and death. He exalted our humanity up to the right hand of God, and he shows us the way of salvation through the humble means of grace. The incarnation the taking on of human flesh that Jesus does for us, fundamentally changes our relationship with God, and it also dignifies and makes sacred every human life. Not only have we been made in the image of God, dear saints, but now we know and we confess and we sing with great joy that God was also made then in our image in order to rescue and restore human beings who are made in his image. In Jesus' name. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.